Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Tony Winner and four-time Grammy nominee Melba Moore, who has a new upcoming album called Imagine. And she recently became one of the newest inductees of the legendary Hollywood Walk of Fame. Melba, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you very much. I'm motivated. (laughs) Yes. Well, you motivate me. I want to just tell you, I follow you on Instagram and you're always so positive. So thank you for the motivation. So I know you were born in New York, right? And, but I've read different things. So I've read that your musical beginnings as a professional started with your, your stepfather's help. But then I read that you met, had like a chance encounter meeting Valerie Simpson and somehow that was part of your legacy of how you began. So can, can you kind of like clarify in your own words, how did you really get started in music? All of the above is a bunch of little steps forward, uh, starting from a broken family. My mother was a professional singer, so it's in my DNA. My natural father was a the famous band leader, uh, Teddy Hill, who also uh, began the movement that helped usher in bebop music at Mitten's Playhouse. So it's in my DNA, but they didn't marry, so I didn't have any music in my life yet. But my mother married my stepfather, who was from Newark, New Jersey, also was a piano player, and they formed a, a group together. So they formed together, and uh, they rehearsed at our house. Now, I went from no music to being inundated with music. And then uh, my stepfather had a son and a daughter. Later on, we had two more brothers. So now we went from no children to <laughs> no siblings to now there's five of us. My house full. Yeah. So now we have a, a, but we have a family. That's your first community. That's very important. Mm. And uh, my stepfather was a piano player, so he gave us all piano lessons. So now we we start getting intimately involved with music, studying music. They also rehearsed their band in our living room. So we're in done it. Everybody sings, everybody plays, all the aunts and uncles are musical. So now there's music everywhere all the time. By the time I get through junior high school, I realize I want to stay in music. I don't want to go to public school. So I go to art and music high school and I, I major in vocal music. From there, I didn't have the money to go to Juilliard or someplace like that or Manhattan School of Music. So I went to Montclair State Teachers College and I studied music education, vocal music. Then I taught vocal music education in the public schools. Then I said to mother and daddy, I did what you told me to do. And you told me to get a real job. And I did. But now can I see if I can perform like, like you do? Because you're having fun and I want to have fun. Too. Right, right. So it was then my, my dad started taking me around to different places to try to get me into the industry. And one of the first people I met was Valerie Simpson. She was already involved in studio backup singing work. So we exchanged numbers in somebody's office. And I started doing backup with her and Nick Ashford and oh, uh, Linda November, all the different 
people that we used to sing yeah, back up. Wow. But one of the recording sessions was for Galton McDermott. He wrote the music for the Broadway musical Hair. He was also the music director and a wonderful keyboardist who was doing his own performance of the music from Hair. They were still casting, so they invited us to come down. I went down and auditioned for the director and the producer, and that's how I got my first Broadway show. Oh, my goodness. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Before I left the show, I auditioned for and got the female lead. But inadvertently, I replaced Diane Keaton. Oh my so I became the first black actress to replace a white actress in a lead role on Broadway. Then one of my uh, girlfriends in the chorus reminded me that I really didn't know how to audition. And I should learn how to do that. And she told me about auditions for my second Broadway show, which was Pearly, which gave me the Tony Award, television, recording contracts, put me on the back. That's that's pretty much the whole story. Unbelievable. And I remember the commercials for Pearly as a kid. And you were these like pigtails, I think, in the commercial. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the lines was, I think, you said, Pearly, I'm in love with you, or something. Ooh, ooh. That and was a song. Yeah, yeah. Was, and I remember song, that yeah. like it was yesterday. And I mean, and for me, I want to tell you why that's so important. As a little black boy in the 70s growing up, who also had musical aspirations, my mother was a singer, I already wanted to be a singer. Seeing like affirmations like that were so important. Seeing you, Ben Vereen, or when Dreamgirls became a success, and seeing those black people really, really uh, just showing their prowess on Broadway. So, so important to just influencing a generation of children. So that was incredible. Now, I know you said your parents wanted you to kind of get a real job, so to speak, or go to college. Did they have reservations about you becoming a performer because they knew how hard that life was? Is that the reason? You just said a mouthful. They were Black. Racism was rampant. It still is, but it was really uh, you know, injuring and bind binding. Then you couldn't go here. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. And you couldn't make a living. Even now, I mean, you have to have agents, you have to have managers, you have to have a business side of your ability. And yeah. during those days, you know, um, you really kind of had to do it all. And it was very catch as you can, very, very sketchy. And so they wanted to try to have some kind of financial security. Yeah. Yeah, it was a wise decision, of course, but I mean, obviously you had other plans, so. Uh, <laughs> well, you know you could have other plans, but thank God they worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that because my mother was always so terrified of me going to New York and being another, you know, starving singer. And she kept trying to get me, well, if you like music, Corey, at least go to college and get a music degree. And I would not have it at all. I was like, no, I'm going to be the next Michael Jackson and go to New York. And, you know, <laughs> so you think you know everything at that age, but of course you there's that. You too. don't, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, I was thinking about the idea of you replacing Diane Keaton because it seems like it's not a big deal maybe today to people listening to this. But at the time, was that a big deal? I mean, as far as industry and how you perceived yourself at that point because of being replacing a white woman for the first time on Broadway, was there added pressure with that sort of legacy? No pressure. My biggest pressure was I didn't know how to act and had no experience. Mm. Oh my God, I was like home alone. <laughs> <laughs> so how, I mean, so you must have had some great natural talent. But your, your question is so well taken because there's so much that you're dealing with. And let me say too that the Broadway show Hair broke all the rules and opened all the doors and broke down all the barriers. We mm. had a black woman doing the Gettysburg Address as uh, Abe Lincoln. Of course, it was a parody. It was right, a joke. Right. But you can say some pretty powerful things when it sounds like you're joking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I knew it was a big deal. I mean, you know, it was 
When, when was it that Martin Luther King was killed? Mm, 60, uh, I don't know, is it 67, maybe? I don't even know the date. I should know that date. Yeah, so I'm, I'm talking about 67, 68, 69. Both of the Kennedys were killed. Mm, yeah. We're talking about little kids being killed in, in, uh, uh, in the church. Or the, the Alabama church bombings, yes. That's what time it was. Wow. And here I said, you, you can replace a white woman. And like the white, one of the whitest women too, by the way. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's like Diane Keaton. You can't get much more white than that. She's what they call white brain. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so and that's pretty amazing because you're right. The show in itself is progressive. I mean, even the music and hair, you know, that whole number they do with the white boys and black boys. And yeah, it's very provocative. And so you're I'm right. I'm calling them parodies because they were, you know, that's the technical name you call making a joke. Mm -hmm. But what did you just call it? Well, it was like, I guess, satirical, I guess. It was... Um, it's a slap in the face. Oh, well, yeah. It's a slap in white society's face. Mm, yeah. So it may not have been perceived well. <laughs> right, right. Well, that was definitely... Because I think that's what that show was doing. It was, short, it was like putting a mirror up against society, which was predominantly and still is a white society, which does have its problems, obviously, with race and... All the same things you were dealing with then, unfortunately, we're still. So, but your question was, you know, how did I feel about it? And yeah, I was part of the revolution. Yeah. Let me put it yeah. yeah. I could wear my hair Afro. As a school teacher, I wasn't allowed to do that. Mm. Wow. Even then, which was like the time when Afros were, I mean, that's when it was there, right? Well, yeah, in society, but our society were considered rebels for wearing your own hair. Unbelievable. Right? Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you weren't there, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, and plus, and, I, and when I was born, my mother used to always, I got a haircut every two weeks, you know, so I never really until now understood what this beautiful stuff is that we have, right? Right, right, right. Because <laughs> we're always you, cutting you, it. You, you put it beautifully. Yeah. To understand your own beauty and, and the way that it expresses itself. We were not allowed to do that. Wow. So hair was a perfect catalyst for that. And one of my favorite scenes in hair is just in the film, actually. And there's a scene of you singing one of the big ensemble numbers and your hair is blowing, your curly, you know, fro is blowing. And so, yeah, it's a, anyone who hasn't seen it, different generation, but it's very relevant now. So I encourage people to, to go out and see it. So currently, Melba, you are navigating you know, a whole new musical landscape, new fans, people meeting you on social media. I follow you and, you know, you have a whole relationship there with people talking and uh, what's it like now for you navigating this whole new landscape and social media? I have no clue where I am, but I get a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I feel like as an artist and trying to stay, stay relevant in the community that you're in, that's how your life is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't like just lay down and rest on your laurels. Well, you can't. I can't. Mm -hmm. Right. It's different for every artist. And in some cases you have like what we might call like uh, one hit wonders. Mm -hmm. But they have one success that takes them through decades and keeps reintroducing to the next generations yeah. and they adjust to the next, say like Tony Bennett. Mm -hmm. But he and Gaga got together. There was a whole other, he had like 12 year olds in the audience. <laughs> yes, but, but, but that's how you have to do it. But still, it's quite a challenge to do. But if you don't have that kind of support, you have to keep reinventing yourself and yet remaining the same because you can only be you. So that's the kind of artist I've been, but I think that's why I'm an artist of diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because 
I like a, a door-to-door salesman, so I keep changing neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because one of my favorite records of all time, and I got to be honest with you, I think this was an early moment for me going, yeah, I want to be more like a rock soul artist, was I was obsessed with Read My Lips. Okay. I have the vinyl 12 inch single. I remember the video with that leather hat and you got the little leather outfit on. And I used to watch, wait up to watch that video on VH1. Is that the one where I smacked his cigar out of his face? Yeah. You saw, yeah. Something (laughs) I've been dying to tell you. Please come as close as you can. Oh, I know every word. So I remember though, that you had this rock sort of grovel when you wanted to go there. And I thought, wow, I would love to hear her do a rock album. And I always felt like, and now tell me what you think of this assessment. I always felt like you were sort of in the recording industry, pigeonholed as an R&B. Do you, what do you think about that? I don't think it was so much me personally. It was that I wasn't sure what my niche should be. Mm. If I had been Aretha Franklin, I wouldn't have been confused, but because I don't have a Southern accent. (laughs) I don't have like, you know, a deep, deep, deep contralto, gravelly, gospelly voice. I sound like I'm from New York. <laughs> so for, for me, it was a challenge to find out, you know, where did I fit and did I fit and um, what was my style? So I had a lot of help finding that. That was really supplied for me by my uh, ex-husband, Charles Huggins, who went and got record deals for me, who got incredible songwriters and producers like um, uh, Gene McFadden and John Whitehead. They actually helped me develop my style yeah. and they, they got like for instance McFadden and Whitehead took You Stepped Into My Life which was written by the Bee Gees yes, yes. Hey, look at the, I'm taking that song everybody knows that song if you heard the Bee Gees you've heard their version of it but if you've heard McFadden and Whitehead you heard their version of it but then they made it fit for my little voice <laughs> well not so little but yeah I mean and you turned it into like um, one of the most successful hits of your career. And in fact, right now, for me, I listen to Sirius Radio 54 every like Friday night when I do my weekly unwind. And if they don't play that song, I'm on the internet emailing them going, y'all ain't play Melba yet. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a big win. <laughs> that's, that's how I stay one. there. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, I mean it. Yes, thank you're you. very well. But, but I know that the reason why that people so love that is the whole combination of the uh, songwriters, Bee Gees, uh, the arrangement, Gene and John, the vocal production, Gene and John and me, the combination of the ensemble yeah. that that makes it all be one big, wonderful experience for people to listen to and for me to sing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and speaking of you singing too, I, I want to ask you something. I want to be like a bit of a music nerd here. I kind of know the answer technically because I know how the diaphragm works. But you and that note, that long, that ability to hold a note longer than I've ever like I've, it's a, it's incredible how long you can hold a note, and I just wonder, is that you like consciously going, okay, I'm using my diaphragm now, or do you just have this like freak of nature ability to hold a note <laughs> as long as you do? I think it's both. The diaphragm and, and the body works a certain way, but you can develop. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So I'll, I'll venture to say that people have different abilities, and if they work on them, they'll probably get to do them better. When I say work on them, it's not just exercise and do vocal work. It's your mental place. It's your spirituality. It's your diet. It's your exercise. And it's your exorcisms. You got to get the demons out. Because the devil is always there waiting to mess you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you keep you motivated. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know you're very uh, devout in your faith. And so, and I know that's such a big part of 
You're right. I mean, it's it's sort of like you you are that your brand is a you're a good person, and that comes through when right. you're even communicating. I even heard once someone made the mistake of saying something on social media about they thought that your version of "Step Into My Life" was on the uh, soundtrack to. Saturday Night Fever, and you very nicely chimed in, like Auntie Mel. But you're like, no, sweetie, that's not. <laughs> that wasn't my version or something. You were, and then you just signed off, love Melba. <laughs> you know, you kind of you kind of checked them, but nicely. So you know, it's really about how you treat people, and I think that's what gives you these new legions of fans who are discovering you as well. Absolutely, they have to uh, want to support you. They have to feel that they know you, mm-hmm. and then they will say, "I'll support yeah, you." Yeah, so yeah. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think it's a combination, of course, of that. And I think you're just a strong New York girl, too. I think there's a, <laughs> there's also yeah. that New York. Yeah. New Yorker doesn't make weak people. I think there's also that sort of a, it's a I winning agree. combination. But I, you know, I say he put me in New York. He let my mother come from uh, Birmingham. Oh, is that where she was from? To have me, yes. Oh, wow. So you could have been an Alabama girl. Yeah, I would have been an Alabama mm. girl. She is. She's, she's a Southern She's a Southern belle. I, I don't know. I'm a New York street girl. <laughs> Although I do love the story you've told. I've mentioned, heard you mention about the the nanny who you had, and she was. And now is that true? You based your character in Pearly on her. I didn't base it on her. It was her. <laughs> it was almost named her. <laughs> wow. My uh, my nanny was uh, Lulu Mae Hawkins. Lulu Mae Hawkins. And uh, my character was Ludie Bell Gustin Mae oh, Jenkins. Oh my goodness. No wonder you got that, Tony. You never, <laughs> I knew they thought I knew how to act. <laughs> you were just imitating your nanny, but very well might I add. That's wonderful. Well, hey, we were talking about all your background stuff, which I so appreciate, but I do want to now end with this wonderful new album you have coming up. It's called Imagine. I know it's a family affair with your daughter. So tell us a little bit about that album, when it's coming out and what we can expect. It's out now. You can get on Amazon all the digital platforms. <clears throat> it's called Imagine. Uh, there's 10 songs on it. Imagine is the title song. I want you to please listen to that because the story is uh, a place of hope, a place of peace. Imagine if every street was filled with, with yeah, was filled with peace. No more hate. We'd all be free. Imagine. And it's very, 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 very pretty. Mm, <laughs> no, we need that right now. So wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we do. And I think it's it's working. It's a hit record because it's sincere and it's very well produced. And um, when I say it's a family affair, um, it would be my, my daughter's first executive pr- production, along with her Uncle Bo, who was her ex-uncle, because <laughs> he, he's my ex-husband's brother. brother. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> the family is meant because of this project. Put all of that aside, and the, and the things that uh, made me successful as, as a recording artist are brought back together for this. They're the ones who helped me develop my style, develop a, a family life so that I have and a brother-in-law. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Those basic elements in life that come back to haunt you with your <laughs> That's right. Well, yes. Well, Can I scream hallelujah. that <laughs> That's right. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, you are so deserving and you are such an icon. And I know people throw that word around a lot. They throw, they throw the words like diva and legend and icon, but you've put in the work and the legacy is there. And so you are an icon and just one of my favorites of all time. And I just thank you for the inspiration and thank you for being here today with me. My pleasure. You know, we did meet, as you know, years ago at Grace Jones' back dressing room. Um, and I have a great photo of us together. I'm going to actually, I'm going to put it in our article. But yeah, it was a fun show, though. But um, 
Definitely appreciate you being here. Tony winning Grammy nominated actress and recording artist, the iconic Melba Moore. The new album is called Imagine. And again, thank you for being here on Motivational Mondays. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.